The following audio is from Life Centre Church. For more information, please visit lifecentrechurch.com.au. The good news of Jesus Christ is that none of our achievements can save us. Only Jesus can. You see, it's part of our condition that whatever is on our list, it's like a trophy to us that gives us meaning. But it's part of God's grace towards us that we get to see those trophies for what they really are. And we are invited to discard those trophies from having any kind of say over our lives. This is the point of the passage today. Paul's going to get at his list. And then he's going to tear it to shreds. Paul's going to take us to the old trophy cabinet where his life once had meaning and he's going to make a very clear and very important point. None of that really matters. Our achievements don't make it easier for God to save us, nor do our achievements help us to keep our salvation. A person is saved only because of the sweeter than honey goodness of God in his unconditional love, his amazing grace, and his unending mercy towards sinners. Like the old hymn that says, Nothing in my hands I bring, simply to the cross I cling. This is why Paul begins chapter 3, verse 1, with a command to the brothers and sisters to rejoice in the Lord. Joy is one of the big themes in Philippians. This is the ninth term that Paul's actually used this word, and it's not the last. To rejoice in the Lord is to have supernatural delight in God. And Paul is going to flesh out all of the reasons why we should rejoice in the Lord in verses 8 to 9, but it shouldn't be lost on us right now in this moment that this is actually a command to rejoice in the Lord. The command to rejoice feels a little bit weird, doesn't it? Like you you shouldn't have to be commanded to rejoice. It reminds me of all the times that I say to my kids, if you don't change your attitude, then I'm cancelling that or I'm turning the TV off or whatever it is. As if there's some magical switch that my kids can flick to to make their attitudes right again. We can't rejoice unless there is something worth celebrating. And the journey of faith in Christ is the journey of discovering the limitless list of things worth celebrating about Jesus Christ. Paul's command to rejoice is not a command to put on a happy face and pretend like everything's okay. It's a command to look through the struggles, look through the trials, and see that God is there with us, and he's at work in our lives to make us more and more like his son, Jesus Christ. God is good. He is our reason for rejoicing. God is good and perfect. And when we say that God is good, it's not that we have a measure or a bar of goodness and we're saying, yes, God has reached that. No, we're saying actually God gives goodness its definition. That's why Paul says to rejoice in the Lord. It's because God is the sovereign king of kings and the source of all joy. This is why I believe that regular fellowship with the body of Christ is so vital. We come together to read God's word. We come together to sing songs to God and about God to one another. We rub shoulders with other believers who remind us of his goodness. We we open up God's word. We are taught by God's word about God's goodness. We need reminding over and over and over and over and over again that joy is found in God alone. 
This is why Paul says, to write you again about this, it's no trouble at all. We need to hear it. Paul's not ashamed of the fact that, yes, I've been talking about joy for ages and I'm going to keep saying it. We need to hear it and we need to be with the body of Christ to do so. No doubt you'll come across people who will say something like, you know, you don't have to go to church to be a Christian. And I I would agree with that, absolutely. I also don't have to go home to be married. It's not going to be very good for my marriage, though. It's going to upset my wife. My marriage is going to suffer if I don't. The regular reminder of God's goodness and the impetus to find our joy in God preserves our faith. Paul says, to rejoice is a safeguard for you. It's in your best interest that you hear this command, he's saying. Why? Because it's so easy for us to get our eyes off God and to focus on what we can do for God instead of trusting in what he has done for us. And we end up losing sight of the joy that is found in him alone. Paul's aware of this, and so he says, watch out for the dogs. Watch out for the evil workers. Watch out for those who mutilate the flesh. His warning is that there are some out there, and if you give their message some kind of an audience, you'll be drawn away from the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul is talking here about a group of people that he has encountered on many occasions in his ministry. Jews who had apparently become Christians, but had considered Christianity as simply an add-on to their Jewish faith. And so they would preach to Gentiles, to non-Jews, that it wasn't enough to simply have faith in Jesus. You also needed to abide by the Jewish law. Specifically, you needed to be circumcised, you needed to follow dietary laws, and you needed to uphold the Sabbath. Otherwise, you can't be saved. Paul has no time for these people. He's dealt with them severely in the past, and he continues with sharp severity here. He calls them dogs. He calls them workers of evil and mutilators. There's some sarcasm in Paul's tone there. There's there's cynicism in Paul's tone there. All of those things would have been highly offensive to the people that he was talking about. They were taking the beautiful message of justification by grace through faith in Christ alone. They were taking that message, that wonderful gospel message, that we don't bring anything to the table to be saved. God saves sinners out of his love for us, not because we're lovely, but because he is lovely. They were taking that message, and they were saying, it's not enough, you've got to add some more to it, you need to do something yourself. And Paul says, watch out for them. Three times he says, watch out. The reason why is because of how attractive that message is. The idea that we can be in control of our destiny and take our salvation into our own hands, it's strangely seductive. And I think that's because it puts us back in the center of the universe. Even once we've become a Christian, even after we've received the free gift of grace, we can, it can be so easy for us to, over time and imperceptibly, add extra conditions to, our, to God's grace. Now, we probably don't do it in that way. We probably don't think of it in those terms. But have you ever thought to yourself, maybe God's getting sick of me. Maybe God's having buyer's regret about saving me. 
that's not a grace thought. That's an I've got a standard and I'm not meeting it thought. Or maybe you've experienced a tough time or some kind of loss and you've wondered, maybe God's punishing me for something. That's not a grace thought. That's a God's got a standard and Jesus wasn't enough to reach it thought. Our world hates the message of grace. It would much prefer to believe that you just have to be a good, th- a, good, a good person and get along with doing good things in your life. Be kind, be courteous, then God will accept you. The message of the gospel, though, is that no one is good. All deserve God's just judgment. And we need Jesus to save us from the hot mess that we have found ourselves in. This is the risk that this group of Jewish Christians pose to the church in Philippi. And Paul says, watch out for them. They were insisting that Christianity was just another form of Judaism. So in response, Paul says, we are the circumcision. We are the ones who worship by the Spirit of God, who boast in Christ Jesus and do not put confidence in the flesh. For Paul, Christianity was not just an add-on to Judaism. Christianity, or the, it was the very sole purpose of God to send Jesus Christ. God's plan had always been to secure for himself a people of faith. The law and its requirements of God's people were a shadow of his overall plan and they were fulfilled in Jesus Christ. It was never about physical circumcision. It was about a spiritual circumcision, a circumcision of your heart where deep down inside who you are, you were set apart and different for the sake of God. God's people are those who are wholly devoted to him and who worship him, not in a temple, but by the Spirit of God. God's people don't put confidence in the flesh. They don't put confidence in their lists. They're confident in Christ alone. This is why we sang that song earlier, I will not boast in anything, no gifts, no power, no wisdom, but I will boast in Jesus Christ, in his death and in his resurrection. That is our boast. And just to prove his point, just to really bring this home, Paul takes out his list. He says, you guys want to create lists? You want to talk about lists? Let me show you my list. Like that old crocodile done the line, that's not a knife. This is a knife. This is Paul's moment to show his list. He says, If anyone else thinks he has grounds for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised the eighth day of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew born of Hebrews. Regarding the law, a Pharisee. Regarding zeal, persecuting the church, regarding the righteousness that is in the law, blameless. In Paul's day, this was the kind of list a Jew would be proud of. Now, this is total speculation. But I can imagine when Paul's mum got together with all the other mums, they hated it when she showed up because of how special her boy was, how clever her boy was. This is the kind of list that gave Paul huge credibility among the Jews. This list opened doors for Paul. He had a future. Paul was going places. But then Jesus showed up and knocked him off his horse, and everything went sideways. And now that list means nothing to him. 
He says, everything that was a gain to me, I have considered to be a loss because of Christ. These things which once meant so much to me now mean nothing at all. In fact, it wasn't just that they had no use anymore. It wasn't just that he found that use, that, that list useless. Paul's list of accomplishments didn't set him up to be a great Christian. It was a loss. If anything, these things counted against him. These things that he was once proud of, these things that he once boasted in him, were now getting in the way of his faith. Have you ever thought about somebody who isn't a Christian and thought to yourself, they'd, made, they'd make an excellent Christian? You know, they're a really good person. They you know, do all these really good things. They're just like a prayer away from being a Christian. That's wrong. There is nobody who would make a really good Christian. We are all sinners. We are all in rebellion against God before we are saved. And whether we are steeped in, in outrageous, sinful, self-destructive behavior that is vile, or whether we are steeped in self-righteousness that props ourselves up to try and make ourselves worthy and disregard Jesus Christ, every single one of us needs Jesus Christ. Paul goes further saying, more than that, I also consider everything to be a loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. He's saying everything is a loss compared to knowing Jesus. It's not just that his past offered him no help at all when it came to his salvation. He he now knows that nothing that he does now can add to his salvation. This is the offensive message of the gospel. It's insisted in our world but all you have to do is be a good person. Just be a good person. Help others. Be kind, be courteous. That's all that matters. And we know this, don't don't we? I've got friends who've got, non-Christian friends who object to the gospel. They say, but how could God ever send a good person to hell? The answer is that that's never happened. No one is good. Nobody deserves God's God's salvation. The gospel says being a good person is not what counts. It adds nothing to salvation. It doesn't make you a better candidate of being saved, and it doesn't make you more saved. In fact, if anything, if you're putting your trust into your good works, if you're saying, well, God owes me because I turn up at church and I serve at church and I pray and I give and I tithe and I sponsor a child and I do all these things, so therefore when I get to heaven, I'm going to show God my big list of credentials and all the things that I've done, and that's going to be the foundation of of my salvation, and the gospel says, no, that's not the foundation of salvation. The salvation comes from Jesus Christ alone. That list must be discarded. The message of the gospel is that knowing Jesus Christ as our Lord is what counts, and there is nothing more valuable or wonderful than knowing Jesus. Jesus replaced Paul's list. Where there was once a trophy cabinet, Now there stands Jesus, the God-man Jesus Christ. Paul had all of these reasons to boast, all of these claims to fame, all of these things that he once felt made him righteous, but now they're nothing because he has Jesus. 
He explains why in the next part. He says, Because of him, I have suffered the loss of all things and consider them as dung, so that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own from the law, but one that is through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God based on faith. Amen. Gaining Christ and being found in him is perhaps one of the most wonderful ways to describe being a Christian. Like if you're a Christian, it means that you have gained Jesus Christ and you have been found in him. That's cool, right? That's special. That's wonderful. Here's why. In Jesus, Paul has discovered righteousness that was not his from obeying the law. Prior to Jesus, Paul had pursued righteousness by strict obedience to the law, and he had done a really good job. But after encountering the risen Christ, he knew now that what he had pursued, what he once went after, that would never be enough. You see, when we are seeking righteousness from our list, from the things that we can do for God, what we're trying to do is we're trying to fix the things that we know are broken. Each one of us knows that there's a problem with our lives, and so we do anything we can to try and fix it. So we get a decent job, we earn some money, we go on holidays, we live the good life, we buy a house, get married, pop out some kids, and then everything will be totally fine. And the lie is that if you get those things, then all of your problems will melt away, and you get this sense, if you have have all those things, then you'll feel righteous, then you'll feel like everything has come together for you. The problem, though, is that that self-determined righteousness, it will never be enough for God, and it will actually never be enough for us either. So if I can get personal again, if my righteousness was to come from leading, say, a large church, then no church would be big enough for me. I'd never be satisfied. And not only that, but anything that got in the way of the church growing, any, anything that would, 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 would prevent that, wouldn't just be a matter of, of a church activity, that would be a threat to me. Because it's not just a case of somebody leaving the church or anything like that, it's a case of someone threatening my salvation, someone threatening my righteousness. And that's the same for all of us, depending on whatever you trust in. If, if money is your righteousness... No dollar amount will ever be enough. If your career is your righteousness, there'll be no limit to the number of hours you spend in the office. If getting married is your righteousness, you'll settle for anyone. And if your marriage is your righteousness, there'll be no limit to the kind of expectations that you place on your spouse to satisfy your needs. This is why Paul doesn't just consider this his his prior list to be useless. He says, this list is now dung. Literally, the word is excrement. It's not worth holding on to those things anymore. I was trying to think of an illustration about holding on to excrement. Here's what I came up with. Have you ever seen somebody walking their dog and they're carrying a little bag of poo? It's not because they like carrying around bags of poo, we can assume. It's just that they haven't walked past the bin yet, right? 
holding on to the things that we think might save us or might make it easier for us to get saved or might make us more saved is like walking past bins with bags of poo. Put the poo in the bin and follow Jesus. This is what Paul did so that he could gain Christ and be found in him. This is what makes Jesus better. In Jesus, Paul found the righteousness of God that is based on faith. See, when you, when, you, when you put your faith in Jesus, you receive just that, the righteousness of God, the actual righteousness that we crave so much. The great and greatest problem that we all face is the sin that separates us from God. Our deepest longing is to be made righteous. And when we put our faith in Jesus Christ, God declares us to be righteous in his eyes. And that is true about every single person who has put their faith in Christ. If you believe in Jesus, then the righteousness of God is yours through faith. God reckons you are righteous. God calls you righteous. And that can never be changed. His his is the only opinion that matters. This is why gaining Christ and being found in him is exceedingly better than everything else. Having everything and not Jesus is the exact equivalent of having nothing. And having nothing and having Jesus is the exact equivalent of having everything. In Christianity, everything is now nothing, and Jesus is now everything. This is why Paul says in verse 10, My goal is to know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death, assuming that I will somehow reach the resurrection from among the dead. This is the measure and the reality of following Jesus. The call that Jesus makes to come and follow him is a call to come and suffer and die. It's not the call to the good life. It's not the call to the easy life. Jesus said, if anyone wants to follow after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. And we might think to ourselves, well, what's the point then? Why follow Jesus if the path is suffering that leads to death? If you're here and you're not a Christian, that's probably what's on your mind right now. What makes Jesus better than anything that I could come up with? Why is Jesus' way better than my way? Here's the answer. Nothing on your list can ever make you right with God. Nothing that you're proud of, nothing that you've accomplished, nothing that you're capable of, and no attempt to make yourself righteous can ever close the eternal gap between you and God. Nothing that you can do can ever reconcile the infinite hostility between you and God. The only way that we can ever be made righteous is if we gain Christ and be found in him. And this is available for anyone who would put their faith in Jesus, who would discard their list and entrust themselves to the Savior. If you're here and you're not a Christian, that is on offer for you right now. If you do put your trust in Jesus, something wonderful will become immediately true of you. In the great courtroom of heaven, God will look at you. And because you are in Jesus... God will declare not guilty.
and no one will ever be able to object to it. There is no higher court above heaven where an appeal can be made. God's verdict is final. And if you're a Christian, God has declared over you not guilty. This is why Paul says, my goal is to know him. Know Jesus Christ who he's found himself in. Know Jesus Christ who he has gained. Knowing Jesus is all that matters to him now. Nothing else. Once upon a time, Paul had believed that there was a ladder to God and every single thing that he did was like another rung in that ladder. His goal was to get to the top of that ladder. That is, until Jesus showed up and showed him there is no ladder, God came down. His goal now is simply to know Jesus and his assumption is that by knowing Jesus, he'll somehow reach the resurrection from among the dead. Because Jesus was resurrected, those who are in him will also experience resurrection from among the dead with new bodies in the new heavens and the new earth. There's that old saying that to assume is to make an ass out of you and me. That doesn't apply here. You can assume if you're a Christian that because Jesus has been resurrected, you too, being in him, will one day after death experience the same thing. Now, one more thing. The way that Paul phrases these last couple of sentences should give us a bit of pause. He says, my goal is to know him. We might ask, doesn't he already know Jesus? He also says, assuming that I'll somehow reach the resurrection from among the dead. And he's talking as if he has to reach it, as if he's got to do something to reach it. Isn't it guaranteed? The answer is yes. And the trick to understanding Paul's words here is in the already but not yet reality of our life in Christ. You see, a Christian is someone who is in the process of looking forward to something that has already taken place. Let me say that again. A Christian is someone who is in the process of looking forward to something that has already taken place. There are three time aspects to our salvation. We have been justified. We are being sanctified and we will be glorified all because of our belief in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And by using this future language, Paul is, this future language, Paul is simply acknowledging that he's just not reached glorification yet. He's still being grown by God. He's still undergoing sanctification. He's saying, I'm not finished yet. I've got, a goal. I've got a new goal, and it's all about knowing Jesus, but I'm not done yet. I'm not finished yet. There's still more to know about Jesus and discover and delight in, but Jesus is still working on me. And the same thing is true of us. If you're a Christian and you've got a pulse, then you're not finished yet. You're a work in progress, which means that there is more of Christ to know and more of you to grow. So let's apply that reality now to that very first verse where Paul commands, rejoice in the Lord. Maybe when you heard that command, your heart sank a little bit or your shoulders slumped a little bit because you know just how lacking your joy in Jesus Christ is. 
You, you feel like it should be more than what it is right now. You want to have joy in the Lord, sure. But you've just found it to be elusive. Sure, there are times in worship and, and prayer and Bible reading and, and, and on Sundays and whatever it is, there are times every now and then that you just feel this, this closeness to God, this warmth towards God, this joy in God, but it's almost as if that joy is held in a sieve and it leaks out straight away. If that's where you're at, be encouraged because you, just like Paul, are a work that is as of yet unfinished. And the greatest joy which transcends any circumstance on earth is yours to be found in Christ alone. Continue trusting Jesus. Continue looking to him and that joy will grow. I came across this quote by Martin Luther this week. Martin Luther, the great reformer, he said... I have now been preaching and cultivating the gospel through reading and writing for almost 20 years. And still, I feel the old clinging dirt of wanting to deal so with God that I may contribute something so that he will have to give me his grace in exchange for my holiness. Still, I cannot get it into my head that I should surrender myself completely to sheer grace." This is Martin Luther, 20 years into discovering the gospel afresh. We're all a work in progress. We've all got this constant thing in our heads that, that we should be contributing to grace. No, no, no. Let me remind you again. And friends, it's no trouble for me to say it again. Rejoice in Jesus. Trust in Jesus again. Trust in Jesus yourself. Next week, Paul's going to flesh this out in a bit more detail. He's going to say that uh, he makes every effort to take hold of the goal of knowing Christ because he has been taken hold of Christ himself. It's really great. We're going to get into that next week. For now, though, just simply trust in Jesus. Find yourself in him, knowing that your faith in him is what causes you to gain him. How do we do that? Tear up the list. Toss the trophy under the ground. Put the poo in the bin. Get rid of the stuff. It's dung. It's not worth holding on to. All you need to know is Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Life Center Church, located on the Sunshine Coast. We exist to make, mature, and multiply disciples in communities that depend upon, declare, and display the gospel of Jesus Christ in all of life. If you would like more information about us, please visit lifecenterchurch.com.au. We provide our podcasts free of charge. Please feel free to download the content and share it with others, but please do not edit or alter the content in any way without the written permission from the leadership of LCC.